an agricultural empire, the fulfillment of the dreams of pioneers, unexcelled in beauty, rich in achievement, and still offering a challenge mighty as the mountains. This is our Northwest Empire. I'm Felix Bunnell, resident historian for Cairo Radio, heard with Dave Ross Wednesdays and Fridays on Seattle's Morning News. On this episode of the Resident Historian Podcast, the Evergreen State Fair returns to Monroe in late August. So get ready to drink a famous purple cow. A purple cow is a blackberry float. It's got blackberry ice cream, blackberry syrup, and 7-Up. And then, from the archives, the Burke Gilman Trail in Seattle was built with people power. But first, let's go all over the map. In the nation's northwest corner is Washington. And now, our resident historian Felix Spinell, who joins us Friday mornings for All Over the Map, which is his quick look at stories behind local places and things. And this week, it's the peak of the social season in the Pierce County town of Wilkeson, as the hand car races make their dramatic return. Good morning, Felix. Yeah, morning, Dave. The annual railroad hand car races have been a big deal in Wilkeson since the Wilkeson Booster Club first organized them back in 1974. It's a great way to spend a lovely summer Saturday. It's, it's going to be nice and hot tomorrow, but uh, you might remember we profiled Wilkeson a few years ago. It's named after a Civil War-era journalist, uh, Samuel Wilkeson. They also had this amazing collection of uh, beehives. Those are the ornate old brick ovens where coal was coked or refined from the 19th century until the 1920s. There's nothing else like it uh, in the whole state. Now, the park where the beehives are is where the hand car races are held. It's called Coke Oven Park, which is very helpful. And there's bleachers for spectators and about 400 feet of rusty old track. You know, and to be really clear, this, you know, a hand car travels on railroad tracks. It's human-powered with double-ended with a double-ended lever that's pumped up and down to make the car move down the tracks. And even though it has a bit of a Roadrunner and Coyote vibe, you know, these aren't active tracks. They're exclusively for the hand car races and for some non-competitive hand car rides that are also happening this year. A uh, Cairo Radio listener named Adam Gill- Gallion is a firefighter who grew up in Wilkeson and still lives there. He sent me a note, and he told me these are short races that take less than two minutes. You know, it's not like a marathon. And because they're so short, it's all about getting a fast start and overcoming all the friction between those those iron wheels and the, and the iron tracks to get rolling. They have two-person and four-person teams at race, but those teams also have an additional person who's not on board the car. Adam Gallion says that person's job is to help overcome the friction, and he or she is called the pusher. So the pusher at the start, like a football guy, right on the on the line, right? He's in that football stance, and when that bell goes, he basically helps them to get them started and pushes, and he just kind of falls onto a mattress. <laughs> so, so there's a mattress between the tracks. The pusher pushes the car as far as he or she can and then knows when to stop by falling on the mattress right there. I don't think that's how they did it in the 19th century. I could be wrong. It does have that Coyote and Roadrunner vibe, but there's no falling anvils or anything like that. Yeah. And the races are run one car at a time. It's not like you know, like a drag race where they're racing against each other. Everyone's racing against the clock. And one thing that's really cool, if you go to Wilkeson tomorrow and you get a close-up look at a hand car and you want to race, you can decide to race right then and there. Really? If, you, if you have another person or three other people, you've got to get a pusher. I'm sure someone would volunteer. There's all these big firefighter guys there, you know. It's it's a it's a it's a great tradition in that part of Pierce County. No advanced registration required. I think they charge you five bucks if you want to race. It's free admission if you just want to come and watch. And that park, it's a beautiful little park. Uh, there's a, a food concession, and a beer garden, and it's a big day tomorrow in Wilkinson. There's a parade at eleven o'clock. The hand car races begin at one p.m. 
Um, Adam Gallion was telling me about these these really popular places now called Carlson Block Pizzeria and Nomad Coffee. So in addition to the Coyote and Roadrunner vibe, Wilkeson is, you know, contrary to everyone's everyone ever thinking it happened, it's getting kind of a hipster vibe now. Yeah. Which hipster vibe and Wilkeson didn't go together for the last no. 150 years. <laughs> I, I've been out there. It is a, it is a cool place. I had oh, no idea they cool. had uh, abandoned uh, railroad tracks out there. Yeah, and I checked the NBC website. Handcar races are not an Olympic event yet. <laughs> and, and Give it a year. Yeah, and if, if Cairo Radio listeners go to this event tomorrow, please take pictures or shoot some video and send yes. them to me. I'll post the best ones at My Northwest next, next week. I'd love to see and hear the sound of this. I think it's a, it's a, there's an, a, a sort of oral experience of this, too. It's, it's, it's sight and sound of the handcar races in Wilkinson tomorrow at 1 p.m. in eastern Pierce County. Very good. Felix Spinell, all his features at MyNorthwest.com. Have a good weekend. You too, Dave. Thanks. Surfing Greater Seattle. Whoopie tie, I oh, rocking to and fro, back in the saddle again. And now it's time for this morning's history unit. <laughs> there were no Lake Washington, Lake Union fireworks uh, this year or last year. And Seafair and Bumbershoot are not going to be back until 2022. But the Evergreen State Fair in Monroe is scheduled to return later this summer. And our resident historian, Felix Bunnell, checked in on preparations for the fair and even got a hold of the secret recipe for its signature drink. Felix is brought to us by the Lake Washington Windows and Doors. Felix. Morning, Dave. Yeah, less than a month from now, the second biggest fair in the state in terms of attendance will be back in the saddle after skipping last year due to COVID, like pretty much everything else. Now, the fairgrounds are on about 200 acres along Highway 2 at the intersection of uh, State Route 522, which is where the fair has been held since 1949. That was a big year. Along with the new fairgrounds, Highway 2 between Snohomish and Monroe had a major upgrade. It's also when they started calling what had been the Snohomish County Fair the Evergreen State Fair. Before 1949, the fair moved around quite a bit. It began in Snohomish way back in 1874, moved to Monroe in the early 1900s, and to Granite Falls in 1916. It wasn't held for most of the 30s during the Great Depression and World War II, but then started up again near downtown Monroe in 1945 with a 4-H-focused event called Cavalcade of the Valleys. Very post-war kind of uh, optimistic spirit. I spoke with Jeremy Husby yesterday. He's manager of the fair in the year-round fairgrounds for the Snohomish County. He and his staff are busy right now getting ready for the vendors, the 4-H kids, the animals, and fingers crossed for the crowds. And as we heard Gene Autry singing a moment ago, the clever theme for this year's Evergreen State Fair is back in the saddle. I think it was one of our park planners came up with the theme, and it just fit really well back in the saddle again. You know, we were a year off, and now we're back in the saddle, and it kind of meshes with our community kind of country feel and uh, really explains how a lot of us feel that we, you know, we fell off. We fell off the horse, and we're going to get right back up on it, and we're going to ride proud. Now, Jeremy Husby told me that the vendors and staff will all be masked up this year, and the Evergreen State Fair has their well-ventilated spaces. And everything you'd expect for a big fair. Carnival rides and games, monster trucks, concerts, car races, demolition derby, and... Our animals, of course, that's what we're really known for, is having just a really good lineup of animals. Our fur food, scones, uh, purple cow, um, our stage and roving entertainment. We have a lumberjack show, which is really, you know, really popular. Now, I understood everything that Jeremy Husby said there, except for one two-word phrase. Purple cow... At first, I played along. I pretended to know what he meant, but I had to ask. He explained a purple cow is a popular ice cream drink that's only available at the Evergreen State Fair, but he wouldn't tell me the recipe. He did tell me it's sold at a booth operated by a nonprofit group called the Snohomish County Dairy Women as a fundraiser for their Dairy Ambassador Outreach Program and for other projects that support dairy farms and families. 
Now, agriculture in Snohomish County is still the backbone of the Evergreen State Fair. And for the past 18 years or so, the dairy woman running the booth and the entire purple cow operation has been a woman named Carrie Neff. A purple cow is a blackberry float. It's got blackberry ice cream, blackberry syrup, and 7-Up. It's not really a secret recipe. (laughs) You don't have my blackberry syrup, but it's not well hidden. (laughs) So Carrie Neff told me the purple cow debuted at the fair in 1960. It was the invention of two dairy women named Mary Lou Lane and Ellen Dodge and their respective husbands. And the Snohomish County dairy women had planned to celebrate their purple cow's 60th anniversary at last year's fair, but we all know how that went. So this year is a bit of a delayed celebration of the popular drink, which sells for about $5 a piece. And uh, just how popular is the purple cow? We have people that come every day for them. We have people who say, I've never had one, but I hear they're really good. We have people that come running up saying, I have to have my purple cow. And they come first thing when they get there. And there are the same people who come running up the last day of the fair saying, I need one more before you're gone. Now, I have to admit, I have never heard of this before, but it sounds like everybody up in Snohomish County knows what it is. Now, in case they don't, now I, I know it's still breakfast time, but I asked Carrie Neff to describe for the radio audience just what a purple cow actually tastes like. It sounds very sweet but it's actually quite refreshing. Almost everybody asks what a purple cow is. You tell them and they kind of make a face and the ones who try, you know, most people will try it and most people will say, wow, that really is good. It sounded too sweet, but. And every 13th purple cow is free. Now that last part's pretty (laughs) cool. She kind of threw that in there. The person making the purple cows keeps a tally for every 13th drink she makes, and it's usually a she, she rings a bell indicating that that one is free for that customer. If that customer bought one, that one's free. If they bought 10, that one of that 10 is free. And uh, Carrie Neff said her son is among the people who used to try to jockey in line to try to be number 13. But you can't predict because someone might buy four, someone might be buy six, someone might buy one. So it's kind of a folly to try to line up to get a free one. And the Snohomish County Dairy Women will sell thousands of purple cows over the run of the fair. A lot of it depends on attendance and weather like any outdoor event. It did rain on the fair back in 2013, and fair manager Jeremy Husby told me that that was the only year in recent memory where attendance actually dipped a little. He said back in 2019, the fair drew a record 355,000 people. They aim to come close to that number this year. Um, when it comes to weather, though, the fair people, seems like they can be a little uh, superstitious. We try not to even mention the word rain. It's kind of unspoken around our office that you just don't even bring it up. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the purple cow thing. Do you remember that poem, Dave? Do you remember the poem when you were a, school, a little schoolboy a long time ago? That... The one that says, I'd rather see than be one? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's where the name for it comes from. It's a poem from 1895. I never saw a purple cow. I never hoped to see one. But I can tell you anyhow, I'd rather see than be see one. See than be one. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. sort of this old-time Americana thing. Perfect name for a drink like this at the fair. I've never had one. I'm going to have one this year. To find them, you have to go to the fair, which is, uh, starts on August 26th. You'll go to booth number 613, which is over by the Animal Barns. The fair runs from the 26th uh, through Labor Day. They are taking a day off in the middle of the fair. Uh, that Wednesday, September 1st, is a dark day for kind of cleaning things up and resetting, giving people a break because there are, is this sort of extra measures in place because of uh, the fact we're still dealing with COVID. But it's a great fair, definitely worth a visit a little bit later on this summer. Okay, so what is the secret recipe? You said you got the secret recipe to the Verbal Cow. Yeah, what, it's, what, okay. what's the what's the ingredient that makes it so special? You know, I think it's actually uh, it's the Seven Up because because seven d- depending up, on uh, who has the ha! contract, because they have to actually make it with Sprite this year because I think Coke has the the. Uh-huh. the but you have a, a blackberry ice cream, blackberry syrup, and Seven Up, and it's like a, a blackberry float that looks kind of purple, 
it does sound very sweet. I don't know if I believe Carrie Neff when she says it isn't doesn't isn't yeah, as sweet as it yeah, really sounds. Yeah. And it's way too early in the morning to actually taste it here live on the air. But I definitely want to. So it's have not a, like they beat an egg into it or anything like that. You know, I asked her about an egg specifically. I said, "Is there a special kind of purple cow, like a golden cow that had like that they only make for certain VIPs?" But she said, "There's nothing like that. It's all just there's mm. one kind of purple cow. You can only get it for a total of 16 days when the fairs mm-hmm. open and for a, like a car show in the spring and the fall. It's yeah. a very special drink, for a limited time only. Kind just of bizarre. Like Brigadoon. Yep. Yeah, it's gone. It's the Brigadoon of ice cream drinks. Brig- That's exactly right. <laughs> Felix Bennell, All his features are at mynorthwest.com. Thanks, Felix. Thanks, Dave. For this is Cairo, where modern adventure and intrigue unfold against a backdrop of antiquity. For this edition of From the Archives, the amazing Burke Gilman Trail in Seattle was a labor of love for some neighbors in North Seattle. Faster and still faster, Northern Pacific moved to and from the western shore. Each canyon and stream that had known the hiss of steam. An opera about a railroad, huh? (laughs) Yeah, the centennial of the Northern Pacific Railroad from 1964. Here he is, making the long climb out of the Cairo history crypt. It is our uh, resident historian, Felix Bennell. This is about the Berg-Gilman Trail. Yeah, they announced last week or maybe the week before that they're going to finally finish the missing link over there in Ballard. It's a few blocks. It hasn't had a dedicated trail space. It's going to happen sometime over the next year or so. But you know that, I want to go back and tell the story of how the trail came to be. That It's on an old rail line that was built back in the 1880s as the Seattle Lakeshore and Eastern Railway by Thomas Burke and Daniel Gilman. Those names sound familiar, I assume. Um, it was an active route for trains for many years, but by the 50s, it was owned by the Northern Pacific. It was mainly used for deliveries to the Navy base at Sandpoint and coal to the UW and lumber to Dunn there on Lake Union. So a couple months ago, I talked to a guy named Jack Christensen. He worked for the Northern Pacific for years, and he told me about a night back in the 50s when a derailment over on the east side forced them to bring a huge train, like five diesel engines and mm-hmm. dozens of cars, down the west side of the lake, down what's now the Burke Gilman Trail. And a reminder that uh, you were brought to us, Felix, by the King County Library oh. System. So uh, this is Jack Christensen. Yep. It was really foggy and uh, no block signals, of course. And it was a line that was only used for local and switching. And we're coming down there it was after midnight. And this engineer was worried about on the UW because guys would park off near the track, you know, maybe in the, not in the clear. And I said, I said well, I said, I'm going to slow down about 10, 15 miles an hour. And I said, if they're not in the clear, they will be when we go by. If you've ever been on the Burke Gilman Trail, the idea of five locomotives and a bunch of cars going down that route through those little residential neighborhoods, that must have been a sight to see. Anyway, fast forward to 1971, and the Northern Pacific was now part of Burlington Northern. Traffic on that route had really dropped off, and Burlington Northern decided to abandon that stretch of tracks from Fremont to Kenmore and sell the land to the highest bidder. Parks planners had had their, ID- their eyes on the track for a few years, but it was a citizens group in Matthews Beach that first started working to make it happen. Um, Merrill Hilla is a professor emeritus in biology at the UW. She was a member of the trail committee, one of the people who actually came up with the Burke Gilman name, which was inspired by a book, and she was a frequent visitor in those days to City Hall. I was the only woman who had a part-time job and a full-time babysitter, so I was free to go no matter what down to the city hall. So um, I went down there, and Mayor Oman told me to make a, a hike um, to advertise the trail. Not not take a hike, but make a hike. <laughs> so the trail committee held this big rally and a hike-in. It was on September 12, 1971. About 2,000 people showed up. They marched from both directions and converged on Matthews Beach. The event was really a catalyst for the next few years of negotiations between the city and Burlington Northern, 
and between some people who didn't want to trail there because they feared crime would, would be spread along the tracks. So Merrill Hill, I mentioned uh, Mayor Wes Ullman. I spoke with uh, Mayor Ullman last week. He was a huge proponent of the trail. It was a tough time to try and sell the concept. This was 1971, right after the Boeing bust. The city was broke. We were laying off fire, police personnel. And so there were some of the protests were saying, we need what little money there is, Mr. Mayor, to be for important things instead of trails. But I felt very strongly that this was kind of almost kind of a once-in-a-lifetime uh, opportunity to have a trail go through the middle of Seattle. So they were able to negotiate with Burlington Northern. They traded the trail land for some um, industrial property in Seattle and then developed that trail over the next several years. Um, and King County did the same north of the city limits. And voila, you know, 45 years later, we have this amazing resource. But it's all because of these people in this little neighborhood in Matthews Beach who wanted to make it happen. I didn't realize that. I thought it was just sort of uh, like an automatic federal rails-to-trails program. No, it's one of the first in the country. It inspired yeah. trails all over the rest of the U.S. Yeah, great. Thank you, Felix. Thank you. I'm Felix Pinnell at Cairo Radio in Seattle. Follow me on Twitter and read my stories and see my photo galleries at MyNorthwest.com. And please join me again for the next episode of The Resident Historian. This has been World's Fair Newswire, a last-minute report on progress of the Seattle World's Fair, prepared by World's Fair News in Seattle. (laughs) 